0: We gather here in the comfort of the gospel. It's important for us to remember that every week, we don't come here to earn anything, we don't come here to prove anything, we come here to stand in the grace of God given in Christ, and the forgiveness of our sins, which He promises us as we confess them to Him. So let's rejoice in God as we worship Him this morning. Amen. Let's now turn to the Word of God Our scripture reading this morning comes from two places in the New Testament. First, Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, we'll read that entire chapter. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime not in orgies and drunkenness not in sexual immorality and sensuality not in quarreling and jealousy but put on the lord jesus christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires so far from romans let's also turn to first peter first peter chapter 2 and we'll read verses 1 through 17 As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together. What we want to give our attention this morning is First Peter chapter two, the verses eleven through seventeen. It's just a few verses. Let's read those verses again, so they may be fresh and clear on our minds. First Peter two, verses eleven through seventeen. Beloved, I urge you. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as you can see already from the text that we've read, the big theme of this text is, how do you live as Christians in a world that hates Christians? Or a world that hates Christ? Or a world that hates Christianity? How do you live within that world? Now many of us will have heard uh, the statement that we are to be in the world but not of the world. That's a biblical phrase. It comes from the Lord Jesus' prayer in John 17. Uh, And it captures a truth about Christians that although we do live in this world in every way, uh, you you and I, most of us anyway, are citizens of Canada. Uh, We are in this world uh, very much. Uh, We live in Canadian culture and it rubs off on us. We are Canadians through and through. Uh, we, we're busy with many of the same activities as our neighbors. And yet, on another level, we are fundamentally not of this world. We do not belong to this world. Our values, our priorities, our many of our activities are determined by the kingdom of Christ and not by the culture around us. So we're in the world, but not of the world. Well, In this text, in 1 Peter 2, then, Peter explains and unpacks this idea in more detail. What does it mean to be in this world, uh, and yet at the same time, not of it? Uh, what, What does that look like in our context as well? Now, we shouldn't forget to whom Peter is writing. Uh, We've been reminded of this throughout, but we should remember it in every passage. He's writing to persecuted and scattered Christians who are facing increasing hostility from the world around them, both from their fellow Jews uh, who saw them as as an evil sect, and from the broader Greek culture which hated both the Jews and any uh, cult or sect that might have come out of the Jews so they were hated on both fronts many of them had already lost their homes and their jobs many had been expelled from the trade guilds uh, when you worked uh, in any of the trades you belonged to a trade guild and it had its own god and its own uh, form of worship with uh, in which you were required to take part uh, many of them had uh, spent time in prison already or had seen their spouses or parents or children sent to prison. Uh, we saw in our first sermon already in Peter how many of them would have been scattered from Antioch, having been scattered by none other than the Apostle Paul, a religious zealot Jew, uh, zealous Jew who was persecuting uh, those who uh, belonged to what he regarded as the Christian sect. Uh, so many of them had already been scattered from their hometown. And the hostility they were facing was only going to increase. From where Peter was standing then, uh, in the coming years, the hostility and persecution would get worse. Uh, Christianity at the time that Peter was writing, Christianity was not yet illegal. Uh, But it was viewed with great suspicion. Uh, And in a few short years, it would become outright illegal. The first of several official waves of persecution was just about to hit these Christians. And so with that context in mind, the question that many of them had to wrestle with was how do we live in the world around us? How do we relate to this culture around us? And that's the question we want to think about as well. And to answer that, we're going to work through it in three simple points. Uh, First, we want to look at our identity. That's, who are we? Uh, Peter says we are sojourners and exiles. Uh, Then we want to look at our context. Uh, Where are we? Uh, Christians are living in a world that hates them, that rejects them. They need to accept that fact. Uh, And number three, we, we want to ask, uh, what is our calling how are we called to live in that kind of context uh, so the beginning place and the first and most important thing we want to nail down is our identity this is where we left off last time in peter uh, and we need to make sure that we understand this identity well uh, otherwise this this whole question of how do you relate to the world around will will not even make sense if you don't begin with who you are in Christ. Uh, If you remember, the big idea that we saw last time was that just as Jesus was a stone uh, prophesied by God, the stone who would be rejected by the builders, but chosen and precious by God. Uh, So, Peter says, because that's Jesus' identity, that is also yours in this world. You are chosen and precious by God, but like Jesus, will be rejected by the world. Uh, But that gives you a very precious identity. Peter says it this way in verses 9 and 10, quoting from Exodus chapter 19. He says, You, as Christians, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's who you are. A people called out of darkness into the light of God. So we need to know this in the first place. This is who we are. If we want to know how to live with the world around us, we need to start with that. What this inevitably results in then is that not only are we chosen and precious by God, but we are also, Peter says, sojourners and exiles in this world. If you belong to Christ, you do not belong to this world. And the world knows it and sees it and feels it towards you. Uh, If you've been redeemed by by the blood of Christ from the futile ways inherited by your fathers, chapter 1, verse 18, uh, if that's who you are, you've been redeemed from that, don't be surprised that the world that is still engulfed in those futile ways holds it against you, that you consider yourself redeemed from those futile ways. Uh, Belonging to Christ uh, who was rejected by the world uh, means that with Christ we shall be rejected by the world. And many of us already know uh, a little bit at least what that feels like. The friend groups that you used to hang out with before you knew Christ now feel totally foreign to you. Uh, And they too, they see you as a total stranger to them. Uh, The jokes that they find funny... You don't find funny anymore. The activities that they found pleasurable, you no longer do. Uh, And the things that you desire, you weirdo, are totally strange to them. Uh, The things that you want, they detest. The holiness of God that you long for, they think as silly Uh, You now know yourself as an heir of the grace of God, redeemed by the blood of Christ, looking ahead to an eternity with God. To you that is the sweetest treasure, to them that is absolute bunk. Uh, You're a stranger, you're a weirdo in this world. Uh, And so ultimately we find ourselves rejected by the culture around us. Uh, we will be regarded uh, with some degree of suspicion and even ostracism. We may even be regarded as dangerous and evil. Uh, Notice that uh, Peter in verse 12 uh, talks about not, uh, not if, but when they speak against you as evildoers. Because to some degree or another, they will speak against you as evildoers. They will call you evildoers. Uh, Now, in Peter's day, again, this was still before Christianity was officially outlawed, uh, before the official ways of persecution, Christians were regarded as evil people, as dangerous people. This is often how it goes. Uh, A group is regarded as evil and dangerous before they are officially made uh, illegal. Uh, we still have some of the copies of of the writings of the Romans about Christians in that time. Uh, the Roman historian Tacitus, uh, writing around the year 100 A.D., uh, described Christians as a cult that was loathed for their vices. Uh, when the city of Rome caught fire in A.D. 64, possibly the very same year in which Peter was writing. Uh, The emperor Nero uh, blamed the Christians for starting that fire, though there was no evidence that the Christians did start that fire. Uh, And they used that as a pretext for initiating that first official wave of persecution. Uh, And even though there was no evidence and everyone knew there was no evidence that the Christians started that fire. Uh, the Roman historian Tacitus, he describes how the accusation was readily accepted by the populace anyways, because Christians, he says, were hated for their abominations and adhered to dangerous superstitions. That was the Roman view of Christians. Uh, yet another historian, Suetonius, expressed his own approval of this persecution of the Christians, uh, even though he himself admits that there was no evidence to support the idea that Christians actually started the fire. Uh, but he says they were killed not so much on the account of arson as for hatred of the human race. Uh, Christians were regarded as, hate, as hating the human race. He, he describes them as well as a cult that adhered to a new and an ill-intended superstition. So they were regarded as dangerous, as suspicious people. Uh, Christians were accused of all sorts of different things. Uh, Some of them were just deliberate misconstruals of what Christians uh, were doing. For example, they were accused of being cannibals because of the wording of the Lord's Supper. This is my body. This is my blood. Uh, Take it, eat it, drink it. Uh, so they were accused of, can- uh, of cannibalism, though most Romans knew full well that that's not what Christians were doing. Uh, they were regarded as simply an evil people that didn't deserve to live in the good, modern Roman Empire. They were seen as a threat to the Roman civilization. And let's face it, something similar happens in the West today. Uh, Christians in the West today, those who hold to the Word of God, those who are committed to the truth of the gospel, are regarded by our culture as dangerous. It's not illegal to be a Christian. In fact, we live in a country of great freedom. And yet you are regarded with suspicion if you believe that the Bible is true. If we teach a biblical view of marriage, or a biblical view of manhood and womanhood, or a biblical view of justice... Uh, you will be regarded as not just backwards and bigoted, but even as dangerous and evil. Uh, just a few years ago, the Huffington Post ran an article by a neuroscientist who argued that religious fundamentalism could be treated as a mental disorder. And so Bible-believing Christians are, uh, for much of our culture, regarded not only as backwards, but as evil. Uh, homeschooling or Christian schooling uh, is, is increasingly regarded in, by many in our culture as a form of child abuse, uh, brainwashing one's children. We're regarded as dangerous. We even hear it uh, from time to time. If you look at the protests uh, that take place in, in different circumstances, you hear it. Get out of our city. Get out of our country. Uh, when I went to uh, university and in western Washington, and I I would sometimes see the bumper sticker that says, too many Christians, not enough lions. There are people that want you gone because they want Christ gone from this world. No, it's not. It's not as severe uh, as it was in Peter's day in Rome. That is certainly true. But we are regarded as at least strangers in our culture and by many as a danger to our civilization. Already, it's possible for Christians to have their children removed from them if they do not uh, affirm their supposed gender transition. Our culture invents terms like hate speech uh, to create exceptions to the rules of free speech, specifically to target Christians. Uh, Tolerance and diversity no longer apply. And of course, brothers and sisters, that can certainly get worse. In India today, like in Peter's day, Christians are regarded as the lowest members of society, the untouchables. Uh, in China, Christians who refuse to identify with the official communist uh, agenda are seen as troublemakers and agitators. Uh, Even right now, pastors and elders are being thrown into jail. Just a few weeks ago, an elder uh, in the Reformed Presbyterian Church in China, a young man with a wife and children, was sentenced to four years in prison for distributing pamphlets uh, proclaiming the gospel. Uh, Just last week, or perhaps two weeks ago now, their pastor was sentenced to nine years in prison for the same thing. And oftentimes, uh, their own culture doesn't recognize it or even see it. You talk to anyone from China, uh, in all likelihood, they won't even be aware that this is, is going on. Uh, I recently, uh, not recently, some years ago, spoke with some friends from the Middle East uh, and mentioned the persecution of Christians there, and they were shocked. Uh, they didn't know that Christians were persecuted there, and they didn't believe me that Christians are persecuted in the Middle East. Uh, and, and as we talked about it, I asked, well, what if they try to evangelize and say, oh, okay, well, yeah, in that case, yeah, then they've kind of got it coming for them. And so their own culture will often fail to see what's going on. Uh, look at the crowds recently gathered in Pakistan for the hanging of Azia Bibi, uh, who by all accounts was falsely accused of, of uh, cursing the prophet Muhammad. They knew it's false doesn't matter that it's false. They are ready to believe an accusation against one whom they already detest. And that's the issue that Peter's facing as well. The populace is ready to believe an accusation because they already detest the people. Well, brothers and sisters, we, we need to recognize this. We are sojourners and exiles. We need to get used to that. Uh, we stand out as odd in this culture, and this culture is not our home. Our lasting home is not here. Uh, Even though, yes, one day we will inherit the earth, uh, as Christ has said. uh, And and on another level, too, we are indeed citizens of this country. That's why we engage uh, in the politics and affairs of this country. It's why we support groups like ARPA to push for change, to see uh, the will of Christ enthroned also here in this country. All of that's true, and yet our ultimate citizenship is not Canadian, It is a citizenship in heaven. And that means we have to accept a certain status of outsider while we're in this country. Uh, Your calling in this culture, in this time, is to be a citizen of Christ's kingdom before anything else. And we said it over and over in our series in Colossians. As Christians, we live kingdom down not culture up. We take and enthrone the values and priorities of Christ's kingdom and live them out as that is our primary identity. And as a result, you will be spoken evil of. And so then the big question is, how are we as Christians to respond to that uh, speaking, to the culture speaking evil of us or even worse, even persecuting Well, Peter's answer in verses 11 and 12 is not insult them right back or fight them back or punch them twice as hard as they punch you, though that is our first instinct. Instead, it is strive with all your might to do good among this culture. I recently heard a talk on the uh, possibility uh, and increasing likelihood of the church facing persecution. And the speaker was asking the question, would we be ready? Uh, Would we be ready to face persecution? And the speaker's conclusion was, no, we would not. Uh, And his focus wasn't primarily there on would we be... uh, uh, His focus, excuse me, was primarily on would we be able to endure, to, to hold to the faith, to stay Christian if we were persecuted and and he felt that we probably most of us would not endure Uh, well that may be the case although we are stubborn people so we have that going for us what i wondered as i listened to that though is uh, even if we were to endure to stick to the faith to keep the name christian and the christian confession what about what peter says would we respond in grace would we do good I see, we're very, we're very well trained in the spiritual discipline of outrage. You know, we, we ask ourselves those questions all the time. Did you hear what the government did now? Did you hear what they're up to now? We're good at that. But that discipline will not serve us well should we actually endure persecution. What Peter presents before us is a calling to show grace and to do good in a world that hates us. That's a much harder question to answer. Would we be ready for that? Are we sufficiently soaked in the gospel of grace that it would flow out of us when we are pressed? Well, that's what Peter is calling these Christians to do. Verse 12: Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Uh, The word there that's translated good, good deeds, uh, is the Greek word kalos, which can also be translated as beautiful or attractive, that they may see a beautiful life and give glory to God for that. It's the same word uh, James uses in James 3, verse 13, where he asks, "...who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom." Our calling as Christians in a Canadian culture is to keep our conduct honorable and good and beautiful in the sight of this world. Uh, To do good, to live upright lives with the hope that though they may speak evil against us, they may at least see our lives and know in their own consciences that the things they say about us are not true. At least uh, we ought not to give them free ammunition to use against us. And we might think about that. What what accusations are being made against Christians, and how do we respond to them? Uh, Do the accusations stick? Uh, Certainly one of them is uh, they are a self-righteous and moralistic people. You ever heard that said about Christians? I certainly have. Well, then, brothers and sisters, show the world by doing good with love and compassion and grace that you are not what they call you, that you are not what they say you are, a self-righteous, moralistic person. And the world says they are intolerant. Well, okay, that's partly, partly true if, if what you mean by that is that there are, there are lifestyles and practices that we as Christians do not uh, condone But, brothers and sisters, then let your neighbors, let your colleagues, uh, let your fellow students know that you uh, are a man or woman of conviction, but also compassion and tender-heartedness. Borrowing from the language in chapter 3, because you've experienced the compassion and tender-heartedness of Christ, let that flow out of you, that the world may see it. The world says as well of Christians, oh, they're judgmental people, Well, again, that that may be true depending on what you mean. Uh, Do we make judgments uh, about values and behaviors? Of course we do. Uh, So do they. Everyone does. Uh, People who claim that judgmentalism is evil are, of course, making a judgment about it. Uh, But that being said, we are not to be a judgmental people. Uh, That is, a people with a disposition towards condemnation. Let the world see that that accusation is not true. We're not here to condemn. We are here to call people to the grace of God. We are to be, as Christians, the slowest to condemn, the quickest to show mercy, the most patient and understanding, precisely because we know that's what God has been towards us in Christ. And what Peter recognizes, and we we should also take to heart, is this probably will not stop people from speaking evil about us. Now, for most of God's people, for most of history, their good conduct has not stopped the world from speaking evil about them. But what Peter says is, Do good nonetheless, at least so that when Christ returns on the day of visitation, then they will at least know in their hearts that what they said is not true, and they can glorify God in that day. Uh, Your good conduct of humility, submission, love for your neighbors might not stop people from speaking evil about you, uh, but at least will give glory to God on that day when many have to stand before the throne of God and are called to account for the things that they said, and then they must admit, yeah, we knew that it wasn't entirely true. Uh, Let that be your witness in this world and uh, now uh, so so what peter is calling us to do is is do good live honorably live beautifully and we should not get the wrong message from that. Uh, Peter is not saying at all, uh, just surrender to the world. Just surrender uh, the particular points that gets the world upset, uh, and then the pressure will uh, come off. And you know, give up your, your bigoted views of sexuality, uh, since that's the issue that the world cares about. Give that up, and for the rest, you can live peaceful Christian lives. That's not what he's saying. Uh, No, he's saying, do good, live honorably, and live beautifully, which means have the wisdom and the willingness to live and die by those things that you know in Christ are good. Live by them and be willing to die by them, that the world may see that they are good. it's not a call to surrender. It's a call to living and dying by the gospel of Christ. Now, this also means, uh, looking back at verse 11, That each of us, as sojourners and exiles, uh, must make our first battle, our first war against the sins and the passions of the flesh that live right within us that are waging war against our very own souls. The world isn't just out there. The world is in here too. The world, the flesh, its desires, sin and Satan and the temptations of sin are right here at home. And we have plenty of battle to do right there. And now, when the flesh, is, or sorry, when the scripture speaks of the flesh, it's not just referring to the physical body as if the body itself is something uh, evil, uh, but it is, since, since scripture actually speaks very highly of the created body, uh, but it is instead speaking of the flesh that is fallen and corrupted by sin, uh, uh, such that its desires and its impulses are no longer what they were created to be. Uh, You see this in many places in Scripture where it speaks of the flesh. It's speaking of uh, sexual desires that had been created good to love one's husband or wife that have now been perverted and fallen uh, to turn into lust uh, and and corruption. Or uh, the impulse, the destructive impulse of anger that seems to reside within our very flesh. It doesn't go away, and so we make war on it within our very flesh. Uh, And when Scripture speaks of the desires of the flesh, it's not just referring to things you do with your bodies. Uh, In fact, it it includes primarily, when when it's described in Scripture, a list of emotions. Uh, In Paul's list of the works of the flesh, he includes idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, and a host of other things. Uh, That's the flesh within us that we are to wage war against. Uh, When Adam fell, our whole nature, our body, our soul, our mind fell into sin, and that is enemy number one. Uh, Peter urges us, fight against the flesh within you because it wages war on your souls. Uh, the, the impulses of our flesh and our uh, fallen minds will destroy us if we are not making war against them. That's what the Puritans uh, used to say, uh, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Uh, Now, before we close, I do want to deal very briefly with verses 13 to 17. Uh, One could devote easily an entire sermon to that, uh, but I chose not to do it because it's a fairly simple point that Peter makes in those verses. Uh, The first accusation that was lodged against Christians uh, in Peter's day and continues to be the primary accusation lodged against Christians throughout the world today is that they are insubordinate that they are rebellious people, insubordinate to their government. This has often been the case in history. The same was said in the days of the Reformation, that the Reformers were being insubordinate to the governing authorities. They were uh, rebels and revolutionaries. And unfortunately, many uh, Christians in that day who shared a part in the Reformation proved that accusation to be true as they engaged in rebellions and revolutions. So Christians are often accused of being insubordinate. And here, Peter uh, makes it very practical. What does it mean to live upright, honorable, good lives in this world so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to God? He begins with submission, submission to the government. Now, verse 13, he says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, brothers and sisters, I know that you know this, uh, but we also need to hear it. Uh, And the world needs to know that we believe it, uh, that we as Christians are called to be obedient and compliant with our government. Good citizens in every respect, except, of course, those extremely rare instances in which the government calls us to disobey Christ. And they are rare instances. They really are. Uh, So Peter says uh, living honorable and upright lives begins with demonstrating to the authorities who are placed by God over us that we desire to obey them and to honor them, to do good for them, and that we also pray for them. Now most of us uh, still feel like we're a long ways from persecution, but I hope I've reminded you it can come quickly uh, and, and surprisingly easily. And brothers and sisters, that's not not something we want. And sometimes people say this, well, it'd be good for the church if we were persecuted. That's not something that we want. Uh, There have been places that experienced persecution where God allowed the church to all but disappear. Look at Turkey, uh, where most of the churches to whom Paul wrote uh, once were. How many Christians are left there? Uh, look at Belgium, the church, uh, the, the region from which comes the Belgic Confession, one of our precious documents, uh, how few Reformed churches are left there. Uh, we should not be a foolish people that wants persecution, that thinks that somehow this will do us good. Uh, rather, we should be praying to God to spare us from that and doing whatever is in our power to show the government that, that we are not the people they accuse us of being. Uh, We should do everything in our power to cultivate good relationships with our local government, uh, to show them that we believe in submitting to the authorities, even if they are authorities with whom we disagree, even if it's a ruling party that we didn't vote for. Uh, That may not be a popular message to Christians today, but imagine what that message was like for Christians in Peter's day where Christians were literally being lit up as torches, living torches, to light Nero's dinner parties. Uh, How hard would it have been for them to hear that message, that you are called to submit to a government and that, as Peter says, that government is there to do good. It's there to do good, and that's still its primary task. And Peter's not saying this from an ivory tower safe from persecution. Within a few years, he himself would be crucified by the Roman government. Uh, And yet he still says, in general, most of the time, the government is busy punishing evildoers and promoting good. And that's the truth. A common grace is such that even unbelieving and evil regimes are still primarily occupied with fighting crime, with enforcing uh, the law, with promoting peace and prosperity. You find that in even the darkest regimes. If Peter could say that about Nero's regime... Surely we can say the same about our government here in Canada. And we can show them that we are a peace-loving people uh, and, and model citizens who contribute to the good of society. Now, Peter gives several applications. Pay your taxes, for example. Pray for your governors. Live upright lives. Uh, and even go above and beyond to serve and bless your community. That's the calling that we have. Uh, Last year, or perhaps a couple of years ago, there was a riot in Hamilton uh, when anarchist mobs took to smashing streets and windows uh, going down uh, the neighborhood in Lock Street. And one of our sister churches there opened the door uh, to the police officers and to the community to host uh, community events to try and rebuild uh, their community, to do good to those who had suffered loss in that riot. And the government there in Hamilton is, is far from a sympathetic government uh, for, for conservative Christians. But I bet, I bet that government's a little bit more sympathetic now, because they've seen the love and generosity of the church. That's the kind of thing that Peter is talking about. If we're going to be spoken evil of by this world, let it at least be unjustly so. Let it not be something we deserve. And then finally, I know I'm over time, but uh, just bear with me for a moment. I love how Peter expresses the last couple verses of uh, our text. Uh, the relationship of submission to, a, to an unjust government is a complex relationship. It's a difficult relationship. Uh, and so Peter assures us uh, in the last verses of our text, we're not slaves to anyone. Though we're called to submission, we're not called as slaves. He says, live as people who are free. We're free. We're not bound by the way of life that's enshrined in our culture. On the one end, uh, on one end of the political spectrum, or on the other, we are a free people. We're not ruled by the opinions and decrees of men. We're not enslaved to human traditions. Now, Peter says, "Live as people who are free, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for doing evil. But rather, live as servants of God." That's the big idea here. Uh, We're free. We're the most free people on planet Earth because we belong to Christ. But that freedom should not be used as an excuse to do what the government prohibits, uh, to do evil. It should not be an excuse for disobedience. Uh, God has placed these people over us, so we submit to them as a people who are free. Uh, it's, it's only a free people who can go above and beyond in the service of love. Uh, the, Reform, uh, the reformer Martin Luther expressed it this way. Uh, he said, A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all and subject to none. And a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. So Peter says, Live as a people who are free. And then he finishes with these words, Honor, Everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. That is the rule of life for us Christians. It's a verse to memorize and a a verse to live by. That's what Christian freedom looks like. Uh, One of the distinctive marks of Christians ought to be a deep, heartfelt love for every person, uh, for the image of God in every human being. That's what he says, honor everyone. Uh, Everyone who comes in contact with you should be able to sense that you as a Christian honor them and see the image of God in them, even though you might disagree with them on a thousand other things. Uh, Your respect for them is not based on their opinions. It's based on the image in which they are created. And, And that honor and love begins in the church, Peter says. You notice that he says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood. I don't want to over, overplay that distinction. Of course, we're called to love the world. But his point is, love begins right here in the church. If you can't love your brothers in the church with whom you're going to spend eternity, uh, with whom Christ has made you family, how could you ever love the world? And so love begins here in the church. So brothers and sisters, do honor everyone, love the brotherhood, overcome evil with good, and fear God as a people who are free Fear God above everyone else. Amen.